This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Do you like the great outdoors? Are you or are you looking to be a master bow hunter, king of the hill in archery? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bow Hunter Planet. It's the Bow Hunter Planet podcast, recorded live in the BHP Studios, Detroit, Michigan, with your host, Team BHP. The BHP Podcast is proudly presented by Vanguard Outdoors. Learn more at vanguardworld.us. Welcome to the Bowhunter Planet Podcast. Uh, Today we have uh, Tim Mazrana. Bob McGee and Kevin Conlin, and uh, today we are going to be talking about hunting traditions, all things that get everybody excited in the fall. Um, I know I personally, like, I, I can't, half the fun's hunting, the other half is, you know, the, the hunt camp environment, so, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's always exciting this time of year, and I know you guys have some great trips that you do and, and been doing for a very long time, so, yeah, tell us about what you do, Kevin. Well, I, um, I'm just getting ready here, packing up and getting my stuff ready to go to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, I've been going up there, I believe this year is year number 36 for me and my buddy. Uh, Years ago, we started working together on the fire department in Detroit. We started hunting together, and I've been hunting with him ever since. And uh, uh, I go up a little bit early, do some bow hunting, and then on November 15th, it switches over to gun hunting. And I enjoy both of them immensely, but mostly I like, you know, just going up there and being with my friends. And yeah. and uh, it's amazing the uh, the camp when we first started out years and years and years ago. There, you know, there was uh, no gas. I mean, we were we were using the mantles with the Coleman mantles. If you're familiar with those, you used to have to punt those up. I know them to get some some fire and. Uh, that would be the light, the light, dim light. We had a uh, a wood stove that that leaked constantly, so you had to be compl- always putting logs on the fire. You'd go to sleep in about two hours; it'd be down to like just ashes, twenty degrees in the cabin. <laughs> you get up, you get up, and you you're breathing smoke. You know your your breath. You can see your breath, and it's like who let the fire go out? You know, it's like, and of course, everybody's had a few beers before they go to bed, so. Um, to the way it is now, I mean, we're getting older, so we're we're getting spoiled. Now we have a generator that runs electric lights, and we've got uh, airtight uh, heating system. We this year our newest thing is we actually put in a thirty-gallon hot water tank, so we could actually take showers. But you know, it's got it's got it's still got the outhouse, so that's you know, if you got to go, you got to get up in the middle of the no night. No solar panels yet. No solar panels. No, no, that we should have them. Uh, but just, you know, when I first started going up there, there was literally myself, my buddy, and a few of the locals. We knew everybody that hunted the area, 
It's miles and miles of hunting land. There's, I'm not going to lie, there's not a lot of deer, but if you see a deer, you got a chance of getting... Back then, you had a chance of getting a big buck. Now things have changed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of wolves. We had a couple of really bad winters where uh, the starvation rate for the deer, you know, there was like 30,000 one year and 50,000 the next year that died of starvation because, wow. you know, it kind of got overpopulated. And ever since then, it's been pretty low population of deer. Yeah, so what's, uh, I mean, you, you said it's the UP. And the UP, I mean, it's known for some funky weather. What, what's it kind of, I mean, what's it like? I mean, is it predictable at all? Or you do when, when you're packing up, are you like, I'll take some shorts and I'll take some pants? <laughs> well, and, you know, what, what, what do you do? I can, tell you, like? I can tell you two things about the Upper Peninsula weather that will kind of sum it all up. So in my younger day, I went out and... Uh, I'll never forget, I got up in the morning and got dressed and went out, and it was probably about 35 degrees or so, you know. Went out hunting, uh, and, and when we hunt, we go out into our blind, and we usually hunt from morning till dark. I'm in that blind, especially the first three days, we would spend all day in the blind. So I went out, by 10 o'clock in the morning, I was down to my T-shirt, and just my hunting pants on because it was about 50 degrees and the mosquitoes had come out and everything else. By noon, it had started to rain. By 1 o'clock, it had turned to sleet. By 3 o'clock, it was snowing like crazy. We're about, we're about five miles off Lake Superior. so we We're get, still we, on the same day. Same day. <laughs> five miles off of Lake Superior. We're getting lake effect snow at 3 o'clock and it was coming down, and by the time it got dark and I walked in, I was walking through a foot of snow. No way. Woke up the next morning, three feet of snow on the were, ground. Were you prepared for that? I mean, Always. All right. Always. My friend told me right from the beginning, when I first started going up there, he says, this is no place to play around. You need to be prepared for anything. And, and quite honestly, you know, in my younger days, I used to go out and walk you know, stock hunt and stuff. I'd walk all day and I would carry a pack with me with emergency stuff because you could literally get in trouble out there back in those days. What did you, what did you used to carry with you? Uh, I would carry, you know, fire starting stuff. I would carry uh, extra, you know, blankets to keep warm, something to make a shelter if I had to, uh, you know, some candy bar, some water, mm -hmm. stuff that if I had to hunker down overnight and and I would always carry extra shells in case I had to crack. We had a kind of a thing. If I, you know, if you're in trouble, crack off three rounds, wait a while, crack off three more. Because um, sometimes that's the only thing you could hear up there is the gunshots, you know. Right. And, uh, but the one thing you find out is when there's a lot of snow on the trees, those gunshots don't carry that far. They muffle. Yeah, they muffle, and it's hard to tell what direction they're coming from. But anyway, yeah, I would, I would be prepared, you know. And, of course, layered clothing and... Um, I had a friend of mine teach me when I was young that cotton kills. So I wouldn't wear, I would not wear blue jeans or anything with cotton. It really? Was, oh, yeah, cotton kills in the cold once it gets wet. But wool, on the other hand, if it gets wet, you can stay warm. And so I, I, first time I ever heard that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you do any kind of uh, winter camping or winter hunting or anything, that's a saying, cotton kills. Because let's say you have blue jeans on, those things get wet. They're not going to dry, and they're not going to keep heating on you. Where if you had the same pair of pants and they were wool, even if they're wet, you're going to be able to keep heating. And now nowadays they've got 
synthetic. They've got all they, the new. Yeah, they've got really fantastic outfits for you to wear and stuff like yeah. that. So, but yeah, another uh, quick story about the weather. So I was up there, and this was just a couple years ago, and uh, they were talking about the winds were going to be 50 to 60 mile an hour gusts. And I'm like, well, I'm not going out in there because literally that, you know, there's trees breaking out there Absolutely. and branches falling and everything. And they said there was going to be 20 to 30 foot waves on Lake Superior. So I was wow. like, I was like, you know what? I'm going out to see these 30, 20, 30 foot waves on Lake, you know, that's something I'm you don't see every day. Yeah. I'm not yeah, going to hunt. Absolutely. So I go out to Lake Superior to look at the waves. And what do I find guys out there in wetsuits, surfing surfing <laughs> in hunting season november 18th oh my to, gosh and i i went up to I, I had my camera i'm filming them i got it on film i put it on facebook and i get talking to these guys they had drove up they had driven up from uh uh all the way from the detroit area up there just because they had heard the weather report and they said by the end of the day there'll be a hundred guys up here surfing no way I go, you guys are nuts man but i will say this they were paddling out you know, way out, and they'd get on a wave, and they were riding a, a, probably a quarter mile on a wave. You know, no way. But uh, it was it was nuts, and the wind, and you know what? I don't care. Their, their face was exposed, and it was cold. Man, I go, you guys are nuts. What but, um what's what's the most amount of snow that you've seen up there? That three feet? No, we had one year when I went up. I went up to. Uh, halfway up and and had dinner with a friend of mine in Kalkaska, Michigan, Mm -hmm. which normally to leave from Kalkaska to get to where I hunt would be about uh, probably five hours. It took me 15 hours to get to the camp because it starts. They they closed the highway, so I couldn't use the highway. When I got to the bridge, the bridge was closed. I had to wait for, uh, sometimes they do convoys across the bridge. I had to wait for that. And then I literally drove. I was afraid to stop because it was snowing so hard. And some of these truck drivers just keep barreling through. And I really didn't know where the road was. I'm afraid I wouldn't get off the road far enough and get plowed. You know, because right. you could not see. But that year, we had four and a half feet of snow. Wow. It was crazy. Were you even able to get back to we the had, property? Or? No. we had What we had to do is we had to find some local guy that, you know, up there, those people live it. So they're prepared sure. for it. Hey guys, Dave from the Bowhunter Planet Podcast. We're looking for cool hunting stories from you. We want to hear your story. If you have a cool story and you want to submit it for a chance to be featured on the podcast, send us an email at team at bowhunterplanet.com with your story. There's a good chance you could be invited onto the podcast. Hey, enjoying the hunt. If I'm remembering right, I was probably 14, maybe 15 years old the first time someone questioned why I hunt. It was a little girl from down the street. She could see my deer hanging on the back side of our home as she walked to the bus stop that morning. It was a small six-point I had taken the evening before, my second buck with a bow. Dad and I had plans to skin and process it after school that day. I don't remember the extent of what she said exactly. In fact, I probably toned her out after she started using words like cruelty and murder to divine hunting. And I remember I wasn't embarrassed and I certainly wasn't ashamed of my accomplishment as she launched a barrage of insults at me. I wasn't mad at her, I didn't feel the same hate for her that she had for me at that moment. What I really thought is how on earth could someone not support hunting? 
A couple of decades later, I realized that maybe we do have something in common with that little girl at the bus stop that morning. That's our love for wildlife, the beauty of nature, and how passionate we are about preserving this great resource and passing it on to our next generation. I think the difference is nobody's ever shown her or she just hasn't taken the time to learn what hunting really is, the importance of conservation and how important it is for the future of wildlife. She may view this as a cold, heartless act of aggression towards animals and a bloodlust for killing all the wildlife until there's nothing left, but we know that isn't what hunting's all about at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We're proud of our heritage. We're thankful for the generations before us that gave us these opportunities. At the turn of the century, wildlife populations were on the decline in North America. Laws were written, hunting seasons were established, and now, now hunters became the conservationists. Placing an excise tax on licenses and equipment have provided billions to successful wildlife restoration efforts, creating and protecting new habitat, including our lakes, our rivers, our parks, and all the fish and wildlife that inhabit them. It's not in our best interest to destroy wildlife. We're a part of nature. We coexist. Every store, restaurant, gas station, fast food chain on every corner in any town you've ever been to supplies you, the consumer, prepackaged meat. Let's not sugarcoat it. That animal was slaughtered. It died so you could eat it. Now, hunting isn't for everyone, and that's fine. But take comfort in knowing that the future of that animal depends on the continued support of the sportsmen and women who do. So I challenge you, I invite you to come into the woods with me. See wildlife the way I do. Listen to the turkeys gobble off their roosts. Feel the excitement as a buck chases a doe out in front of your stand with his nose to the ground. Better yet, sit in a blind as a youth hunter takes her first deer, catches that first fish, and is finally able to put a meal on the table for their family. I don't hunt because I hate wildlife. I hunt because I love wildlife, because their well-being is dependent on our efforts, and I can't think of anything more meaningful than passing that love for the outdoors onto the next generation. You want to get out there, you want to be a part of it. It's about the love, the passion for the outdoors, you know, we're making our property better, we're trying to improve our hunting, we're, we're working on it all year long, it's not a show up in October and hunt a few times. And this is a passion that, that we have. We can turn it off. You know, it's 12 months a year, non-stop. Do us all a favor, get a kid outdoors, enjoy what Mother Nature gave to us, and you know what? Help grow this heritage. As us hunters, all we have is each other. We found a guy that had a plow in the front of his truck, one of those uh, 
you know, like, like those wedge plow, plows, a wedge plow. Yeah. 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 And he, we paid him and he plowed us back to the camp. And then we had to, we had to dig the door open to get sure. into the camp and everything. And then, and, uh, we didn't see no deer that year. <laughs> <laughs> they were buried. I mean, it was, it was, I took snowshoes and uh, even going out in my snowshoes, I was sinking in the snow, like, you know, two or three feet just to get out to my blind was a, was a uh, difficult you yeah. know, situation. And of course I did see one, I'm, I, sh- I should take that back. I saw one deer, it was a doe and she was running through the snow and every time she hit the ground, the the only thing sticking out was her head. Are you it serious? Was right wow. up to her chest, she was bounding through the snow. That's crazy. I've never been in hunting conditions like that. Yeah. That's well, the crazy. thing is, where we hunt, it, they actually say usually, and that's probably why we didn't see any deer. The deer know that's coming, and they migrate out of the area. Okay. Uh, they move to the center of the Upper Peninsula in, in the cedar swamps and stuff like that. Oh. And uh, if you catch it just right and you know where to go, you can catch that migration. And I guess that's really something to see. You see that's like pretty cool. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deer like just passing through heading to the yeah. cedar swamps. I've never been fortunate enough to see it. I don't even really know where the pathways are, but they're there. Very cool. And you said you, you, you I mean, there's a wolf population up there. I mean, it's pretty well known now, but have you seen wolves up there? Oh, yeah, I've seen wolves. I've seen, uh, um, I saw... I saw one wolf by itself one year, uh, then I saw two that I jumped and they took off, and then a few years back I saw a pack of six wolves, wow. and they were within 30, 40 yards of me. I mean, they didn't know I was there, I was sitting in my ground blind, and uh, you know, and I've seen the first one, I'm like, oh wow, that's pretty cool, a wolf, you know, I was kind of happy to see it. <laughs> then I saw two more coming up behind them, I'm like, okay, there's three, and then all of a sudden I saw some more movement, and I'm like, Holy cow! There's like six of these things going by. I'm like, now I don't want them to see me. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. a little fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just sitting there watching them, and they were. The first one was kind of, you know, big dark black one. He looked pretty cool. Then the next two were these gnarly looking, like a blonde color. They were ugly looking man. I was like, oh man, <laughs> love it. And they were they were definitely hunting. They were definitely hunting. They were moving like a, like a military patrol. One would move, then another one would move, and then two would move together, and they were like stalking. Keeping formation. Yeah, and so that's the last I saw. I saw them, and that's the last I saw of any deer. I didn't see another deer. for. I hunted a whole another five days solid morning till night and never wow. saw a deer. Wow. Yeah, I went out, and, you know, we had snow, started looking for tracks. No, them deer, they were moving out away from the wolves for sure yeah yeah it sounds like it so what about you bob you got uh any hunting traditions where you go a lot of them yeah yeah uh my wife's family owns a place that's about 40 miles northeast of traverse city and it's outside a little town up in the northwestern part of the the lower peninsula called mancelona oh you get a lot of snow there too don't you you're in the snow belt yeah. We don't get as much as you were talking about, but it isn't uncommon to go to bed at night, get up in the morning and find maybe a foot, foot and a half of snow on the ground. To me, that's the best, too. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, I started going to this hunt camp when I met my wife, and that was back when I was in my early 20s, 21, 22 years old. Man, that's a long time ago. It is. It is. When you stop and think about it, it it's I'm glad 40, you said that. 40-something 40, 40 years. 
And at the time, everybody in her family, my wife, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, her three brothers, they all hunted. Oh, that's awesome. So I got involved with uh, going up for hunting season, archery, rifle. Yeah. And it, it just continued over the years. And to this day, it's one of the the most favorite times of the year for me because it was family getting together. And as the kids, my son, my nieces, my nephews, they all got older. They were involved in it. And it was just something where everybody was together. That's it. Family yep. tradition. Mm-hmm. Family time. Everybody cooked. You, My mother-in-law was like the hen of the camp. If she wasn't out hunting, she was in the cabin making making stews and, and soups. And Did you guys eat the deer hearts? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. That, that was a tradition. Uh, the first deer that somebody got, we sliced up the venison heart pan fried it in uh, butter and onions yeah and put it on rye bread and it, it to this day it's one of the best things i've ever had really yeah i have never tried that i have not either yeah. i keep telling myself i'm gonna do it and oh it's fantastic yeah. <laughs> funny thing I, I i i i killed a deer one time and i gutted it and up where i hunt we had the a, a gentleman who was uh, who lived up there since he was a child. His family homesteaded back in the eighteen hundreds. Wow! And he was a uh, an old Finlander. His name was Toivo Mackey, and uh, Toivo always wanted the heart and the liver. So I gutted my deer, and then I was going to go hang it by. He used to let us hang hang our deers in his shed, and I forgot the heart and the liver. You know, so I was only gone like, like seven eight minutes i said oh shoot i gotta go back and get i turned around went back and them damn ravens were on my carcass already they didn't take nothing but the heart and the liver no way yeah everything (laughs) else was there i'm like them son of a guns took the heart and the liver. they know what's good they know they know what's good man and uh you know by you usually you know within a day or two everything's gone but boy they came they came and they grabbed that heart and liver and off they went with it, you know. So I had to go tell Toy Boy. He's like, "Where's the heart?" I'm like, "Yeah, the Ravens got it." Oh, what's what the what, what's the matter with you? <laughs> I asked for one thing, <laughs> one you, thing. You god dang apple knockers don't know what you're doing out here. What kind of hunters oh, are you? I love it. And our our hunting camp was similar to where you and Dan were going when you uh, first started going. All it was was a, a square room with concrete floor. Yeah. And yeah. it was heated by a wood stove. And over the years, as as we got older and the kids started growing up a little bit, we, we put additions onto it, put water into it, brought propane heat into it, running water. Yeah. And it, it's like, I can't believe what we used to do. We used to, we used to butcher the deer on the kitchen table. Yeah, I believe it. I know that. Toivo used to do it. He he called it his operating room. (laughs) I love it. I had some great stories about him. You know, he's gone. God rest his soul now. But, man, you talk about learning the history of the Upper Peninsula with... uh, And, I mean, he had been a a miner, a lumberer, uh, just all kinds of things. And he taught me and my friend Dan so much about hunting. And, uh, uh, you know, he... Use your own personal Fred Bear. Yeah. He he walked around those woods like I walked around the city of Detroit. I mean, I was a, 
a, a medic and a firefighter, and I knew my. I grew up in Detroit. I knew my way around the streets to stay safe, and I didn't know nothing about you know the. I, I didn't know enough about wilderness. You know, mm -hmm. I'd been in, I'd camped and all that, but wilderness is a different thing. And he, he taught us so much. One day he took us out on a walk. You know, we're walking, and me and Dan are following like the couple of cabooses. You know, we get out in the middle of nowhere, and he goes, "Okay." Which way do we go to get back? You know, and neither one of us were looking at our compass. Neither one of us are doing anything. He's like, "What the shit you gonna do if I had a heart attack out here?" <laughs> he goes, "You don't go nowhere out here without a compass." You know, and it was like, like me and Dan are looking at each other, like, you know, he's right. What yeah. if, if he dropped, all three yeah, of us are gone, be, man. He does. So I learned oh. from that time on to always carry a compass, and then I learned the hard way to always carry two. Yep. Wow. So, you, you, I mean, the UP, right? You've seen a lot of changes. Oh, yeah. I'm sure up there. Yeah. What, uh, I mean, obviously there's the property and like the building and upgrades and all that stuff, but I'm sure, I mean, like just wildlife wise. Yeah. Well, they introduced the wolves. I would say that's been a big change. And that's and, been, and, that's been a while now, though, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, it's been and, probably 15, 15 years or so. Yeah, at least. And the people, yeah. I, I will tell you, the locals up there are not happy with the results. I mean, yeah, you get to see wolves now and then, but, you know, um, you know, they, the DNR, of course, says, oh, it's not the wolves that are knocking down the population, but it, it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, like I said, those deer have to yard up in the wintertime. Well, they mm -hmm. can't run. The wolf mm -hmm. pack can just come in and, and take, and, and then, uh, and the coyotes too, you know, when uh, when the deer are in the spring, if they, you know, sometimes the snow doesn't leave until middle of May or even right. later, and and when it's like that, and they're dropping fawns, they're just you know sitting ducks for these predators, and there's no hunting season on them. They're protected by the federal government, and uh, and uh, they did have one season, but I think I think they estimated there was. Well, Three hundred wolves, and they took five, they took six or six? something like that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I think they they know. I think they they gave up more licenses than that, but that's all that was. Right. Well, who knows? Recorded, you know, so, we're Michiganders. Yeah. You don't know how to hunt wolves. Exactly. Who knows how to hunt a yeah. wolf? You know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's you know you probably got a better chance of trapping one than you would have of uh, getting one you know hunting it. Like I said, I've been going up there for every year. I've seen that one wolf pack, and I've seen a, a wolf here and there, but. For them, I hear them at night. You hear them, you know, but you don't mm -hmm. really see them. They're pretty elusive. So, what's the big? What's the biggest deer that you've guys seen in, during your 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 hunting camps? Well, I got one hanging on the wall out there. That's an eight point that looks like it was bought out of a store. It's it's a perfect eight. I mean, and you know, I don't know what it scores, but you know, for a Michigan deer, it's a pretty nice deer. And, yeah. It is a great deer to take, yeah. absolutely. And it, it's, it's funny that you brought up that question because getting my stuff together for this upcoming rifle hunt, I found an orange hat, and on the inside of the hat has the year that I took the largest deer that I've ever taken from up at the cabin, and that was an eight point, which was probably about uh, 100, 115, 120. I thought you were gonna say years yeah. ago. About twenty years ago, <laughs> about about twenty years ago, about a mile from where I hunt, a twenty-three pointer was taken. Really? Yeah. 
Uh, not uh, on a ranch. I'm, I'm, no, no, no. I'm, this I'm was open, a this was a private or public, but not swamp buck that came really? up out of the swamp, and some guy was lucky enough to connect. It was no gnarly looking. It had drop tines, and it had all kinds of well, kickers and everything. Well, if twenty three in there, you kind of have to. Yeah, it, it was. It was. You know, they it's like had a Christmas the, tree. They had the picture in the paper, and it was just a gnarly looking. Wow. Dark, dark looking. You know, it probably lived in the swamp and just. Yeah, and then up where up. our cabin is. You know, we've got 100 acres, and if you're not food plotting stuff, there just isn't the vegetation to get big deer. Yeah. And several years ago, they started the APR. Mm-hmm. And Explain that, though, for people that don't know it. APR was set up in the northwestern counties of the Lower Peninsula, and that's Antler Point uh, restriction mm-hmm. rules. And for a long time... If it had spike, no matter what size horns, people were shooting them just because you didn't see big deer. And over, I'd say, the last six, seven years that the APR has been in uh, existence, they're just starting to get the deer to where they're, they're eights and tens, and they're scoring probably 130 to 150. So it, it, it does make a difference. Uh, do I believe in it? That could be a whole nother, uh, whole nother uh, podcast. Yeah. yeah, that's more about deer management, though. At that point, yeah. So, yeah. And I, I'm a believer that the hunter should manage their. You know, if you if you feel like a spike is something that a trophy to you, mm-hmm. meat on the table, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, for somebody to come out and tell you that you can't take a, a six-point or a, a four-point, I don't agree with it. Right. Yeah, the problem, I mean, I the problem that I see with it is, for example, so over the years, just to put my kids through college and make a living and everything, I work two jobs. And sometimes, like you talk about, you know, the only vacation you could get was hunting. Well, I wouldn't, right. I couldn't take all hunting vacation because I had a family. I had to take them on vacation too. So sometimes, my four or five days yeah. I got to hunt was that was it. Right. You know, yeah. The rest and of the time I'm see, working, and get, and and then I got to go out yeah. there, and you're telling me that it's got to be an eight point for me right. to that shoot spike, it. Right. That spike, that four point, and whatever, would, might be the only. Quite honestly, you if see. if that was the case, in the twenty. Let's say 30 years that I've been hunting in the Upper Peninsula, I probably could have shot about three deer. Because you just don't see that many. I haven't right. seen hardly any deer in the last five years. And uh, and I hunt hard. But it's just it's just a matter of, you know, the population's way down and, and you don't see them. You know, hopefully this year, you know, Dan says he's seeing sign, but he tells me that every year I think they entice me to come back. <laughs> Which I'm going to come back no matter what. In, but, that gets you up there. But, uh, you know, the thing is, is, uh, you know, I, sometimes I just want to put some meat on my table, you know. Yeah. It's easy to be a, an APR proponent when you've got 80 acres in the middle of farm country and, and you can go out and shoot a doe. Like where I hunt, there is no doe season. So oh, really? No, you can't shoot doe. Where in the, in uh, okay. there was only a few counties in the Upper Peninsula that allow you to shoot does. They're more the southern. Uh, the southern, southern in the farm, farm farming area, but like where I hunt, there's no does. It's buck only. Wow, that's a lot different than where I hunt because where I hunt, yeah. there is a huge, huge population of does. Right. Huge. Right. 
Yeah, and not where. Well, again, it's weather. De- you know, the, yeah. it's it's rough up there. I mean, this oh, is, absolutely, this is the I'm real just, deal. I, for, I, I, I didn't know that was up in the UP like that. So. Yeah, yeah. There's only a three or four counties. You know, well, I don't know how many counties there are now, but up where I hunt near Lake Superior, and there's no no taking of does at all. So, uh, I think you can do it with a bow, but not with gun. Okay. So you know, like I said, you know, a doe wasn't an option for me. Right. So, you know, I've taken four points. I've taken spikes. But you know what? I put meat on the table. And that's, that's, what it's that's all just about. the way it is, you know. And so to tell me that, yeah, you got to wait for an eight point or a six point. Yeah, they're basically forcing you to trophy hunt. Yeah. Right? At that point. Yeah. Which I think change, which, which goes goes against what you want to do as a hunter. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Maybe that's okay for certain areas. Just sure. I, I don't like the idea of the whole state being that, you know. The other thing I don't want to see happen is like in some of the other states where they have that, that a deer becomes a cash crop. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, can I hunt your farm? Sure. Give me $10,000. Yeah. You know, if you shoot a deer, I want, I want $5,000 and stuff like that. You know, like right now, these farmers are like, hey... Come on and hunt them because I don't want my crops destroyed. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you make the deer more valuable than the crops. Then what's going to happen to Michigan? It'd be like Texas. Anywhere you go, it's all fenced in, and you got to have, uh, you know, you better have a big wallet to shoot some of those deer. Yeah. So, but you know, there are certain. I know that there's a lot of people that practice it, and they are seeing bigger deer. It does work. So. You know, I'm not locked in one way or another. There's I'm always, I'm always willing to listen to the discussion. But there's a balance. I think the the other. I think one of the huge differences too is is you know the, whether there's a big population of deer. I mean, right. period. I mean, it's not not just about the ant, but like you said, yeah. you can't shoot a doe, right? Yeah. And if you had to wait for an eight point, it would never happen. Right. Um, you know, I'm putting food on my table, but I could take a doe, so I'd right. probably be a little bit more open to an antler, antler point restriction in the area that I hunt. Right. Only because there's there's enough, you know, food that I can put on my table. Yeah, there. and quite honestly, when I hunt in the lower part of the state, I I do APR myself. It's yeah. like if I got a choice between taking a four point or a doe, I'm going to yeah. take the doe. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to shoot a four point down here when I know I can get a doe. You right. Know? Exactly. So I don't, you know. I agree with it to that extent. You know, right. it's like, hey, you know, let that one grow, and maybe you know, when it gets bigger, then I'd consider taking it. But um, that's not an option where I hunt right. uh, in the UP. Right. So, but uh, yeah, you know, like getting back to traditions and stuff like that. One of the things I like about, you know, like I said, I don't see many deer anymore. Over the years, there've been some times when you've seen a lot of deer, and then. But uh, just going up there over the years, the things I've seen, I've seen wolves, I've seen bald eagles, I've seen a moose, I've seen bobcat, I've seen porcupine, you know, all the different things I've seen up there, just going out and sitting in the woods for long periods at a time. And sometimes it gets really difficult, especially uh, when it's cold, you know, and, you know, sometimes you're just sitting there and you're just like, why do I do this to myself? Yeah, but, but you know, we kind of <laughs> talked about it another time how, you know, like the first day or two you get out there and you're all antsy and everything, and then I just kind of get into this calmness comes mm-hmm. over me, and I literally, I can tell the difference between a mouse and a squirrel and a deer without looking, you right. know what I mean? Right. You hear the you hear the little noise and you go, okay, that's, that's a mouse, you know? And uh, you just... 
you just become one with it, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like you hear this twig pop and you go, uh-oh, oh. that's not, you know, you look and sure there enough, we go. there we go, yeah. you know, game on, you know? Yeah. Now, do you do, you do, uh, do you do the cooking up there? Because I have to imagine the guys eat very well if you do the cooking up well, there. Quite honestly, it's uh, my friend that I go with is an amazing chef, and he loves to cook, and he he takes care of it all. So wow. that's pretty cool. That's he's impressive. A, he's a retired yeah. firefighter too. No, yeah. that's impressive. Pretty much he, everywhere I go, I cook. So it's kind of yeah. I like going there because he always cooks. See, that's you know? why you really go. That's yeah. why I like going with you though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the, the meals that I that I've had that uh, that you've made uh, absolutely amazing. So yeah, so it's it's fun. Uh, you know, one more thing about like where I go hunting, it's kind of neat. Is there's a, a a deer camp there that goes all the way back to the 1800s. And now it's like a, a, a conservatory, you know, there's no hunting on it. And it's just like, but it's, there's a book called The History of Michigan Hunting. And that deer camp is in that book. Really? And it, guys used to come by train up to the Upper Peninsula from Chicago. And then they go by, by wagon train out to this deer camp. And there's, there's a guy that used to be a wild, he's, they call him the father of wildlife photography. His name is George Chirac. And he used to take and he would set up cameras with flash photography that would have tripwires and stuff like that. And he's like one of the first guys that did nighttime photography um, back in the 1800s. And there's pictures in that book that he took. And The original trail cam. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> cool. And uh, he's got some amazing photos. If you ever get a chance, check that book out of the library. And they show pictures of like the railroad car flatbeds stacked stacked really? with deer with hundreds of deer and wolves and wow and, and just you know just when you go when you go up there and you walk those same grounds and it's just like going back in time tumbling me, up. you know i just yeah. it's like going back in time that's awesome i usually at least take one walkabout when i'm up there you know just go off by myself and now that I'm getting older, I probably shouldn't be doing it, but I still do. <laughs> Just make sure you bring your compass. Yeah, two of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna call this one, guys. There's uh, some some good stories, some good traditions. Um, you know, they're, they're, I think everybody kind of has that going on, and you know, I think the one big thing too, and, and everybody should keep in mind is those kids, right? Getting those kids yeah. into That's those what it's traditions. All about. So. Yeah. Um, but with that, we thank you guys for joining us. Uh, you know, thanks for listening to the Bowhunter Planet co- podcast, and we will uh, check us out next time. Yeah, and be safe out there. Have fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Bowhunter Planet podcast online at bowhunterplanet.com with your host, Team BHP. Check us out on Facebook at Bowhunter Planet. We'll catch you next time. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.